Hi and welcome to my podcast, Pure Happy Healthy. My name is Leandra Haupt, I'm your host. And today I got an interview episode for you with Adam Rice. He used to be a banker in America, but then he suddenly realized that that was not his purpose and his way of living his life. So he became a yoga teacher and has been teaching yoga for more than 15 years now. But then he also became a Reiki master, a shamanic healer and meditation guide and so much more. So he will share so much wisdom with us and we talk about belonging, uh, groups and how to find your purpose and so much more. It just got such an exciting interview and I'm super, super happy that we got to record this and I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. So without further ado, have fun with this beautiful episode. Hi and welcome to Pure Happy Healthy, Adam. Uh, it's so nice you're here. <laughs> Thank you, Leandra. It's nice to be here. Yeah, we actually met in a, um, Agape Zoe, which is a consciousness festival a few weekends ago. And I took one of your yoga classes and that was amazing. Besides, I had super sore muscles the next days, but um, <laughs> it was such an amazing, good workout class. So I'm super excited to dive into your practice a bit deeper in a moment. But before we actually get started here, I would like to know, what did you have for breakfast this morning? I haven't had breakfast this morning yet, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I'm actually quite hungry. But um, yeah, usually I have uh, like some Greek yogurt with some blueberries and nuts. Um And then every once in a while, I'll make something a little heavier. I, I like eggs and cheese and omelets and things like this. So um, I, I try to eat fairly light in the morning so that I have the energy for the rest of the day. But right now I'm running on empty. Oh, oh. <laughs> I hope you don't get hangry because then we have an issue here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, you... I won't. I promise. I'll, 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 be, I'll be good. <laughs> Stupid question. You probably hear that a lot of times. Do you honor your last name? Do you also like rice or is that something you don't like? <laughs> Funny enough, I don't eat that much rice. Okay. Um, yeah, it's not one of my favorite things to eat. I prefer noodles over rice, actually. Okay. Yeah, I'm also not a big rice fan, but um, I thought maybe because of your last name, you really put it to honor and that's your favorite dish. But <laughs> No, I don't. But I, I did get made fun of quite a bit because of my last name when I was a kid. You can imagine all the, the things that teenagers can, can say to make fun of somebody with the last name of Rice. You know, I heard things like rice aroni and Rice mm. Krispies, and these are all American things that maybe the audience doesn't even know about. But um, yeah, so rice is, rice is actually, it's an interesting story because the name was taken from my ancestors who were originally, um, uh, my, my father's ancestry came from Czech Republic mm -hmm. or from Hungary, sorry. And the last name was Zerdandovich. My great, great, great grandfather met my great, great grand grandmother, whose last name was Rice. She was Welsh. So when they came to America, they took her last name, the Rice name, instead of Zerdandovich because as new immigrants to America, um, rice sounded a little bit more American. So that's how I ended up with that name. Oh, wow. Such an interesting background story. 
Um, yeah, I know it from my name, Leandra. People would call me Leandra Tala, which means like Neanderthaler, you know, <laughs> because I was that yeah. dark haired, like deep voice and big eyebrows girl. And then they were like, oh, you're Leandra Tala. And actually I suffered quite a lot from from that. Would you say that um, like having have been made and made fun of with your name? Was that something that sticked with you for a while that you were struggling with? No, I always was always pretty self-confident of myself. And so it was said more in jest by people and I didn't really take it that personally. Although as a kid, I, it was very important for me what people thought of me. And that kind of formed a lot of things in my life later on. You know, this idea of living up to expectations of others and worrying about whether I was liked, you know, things like this. So, um, It did play a small part, but there were many other things in my life that kind of added to what created me and as a person as I, as I started to grow older. Hmm. We were talking about it a bit earlier that we both of us did a high school exchange. You're from the US and you made it in Germany. And for me, it was the other way around. And so I got that high school experience as well. And especially in the States, I could see that in, in the schools, there's really that group forming and group shaping, maybe much more than in Germany. There's that cheerleader group, then there's that uh, like um, football guys, they're really well liked by the girls. And then there's that nerd group, etc. So I could imagine that especially growing up as a kid there, you really identify yourself with one of the other group and that really shapes your reality for the next years up to come and maybe something that you struggle with for a while. Yeah, this is very true. In America, you know, we have a lot of these cliques in, in, especially in high school, and you're often defined by which clique or which group you hang out with. And for me, I was always kind of never really part of any particular group, but I kind of always had friends in every group. You know, I was, I was very good in school, so I was friends with a lot of the nerds. Um, I was an athlete. So I was friends with a lot of the athletes, but I was never really part of their crew, so to speak. Um, I played an instrument, I played saxophone, so I was sort of friend with all the band people, but never really part of that. Um, so I kind of floated around from group to group. And one of my deepest wishes actually was I wanted to belong somewhere. Mm. I always dreamed of being part of one of those cliques, like fully in and fully accepted. And I, I kind of idolized you know, shows like Beverly Hills 90210, you know, that, that really showed, you know, this is back in, I guess, the 90s, that really showed the, the, this click culture in America. And I so wanted to be part of something like that. Uh, I think part of the reason that I wasn't was, you know, my background, I, I grew up in a military family. My dad was in the military, so we traveled around a lot. And every time we'd move to a new place, you had to make a new group of friends. So I became very adept and very good at being very diplomatic and getting along with everybody. But you also kind of hold back a little bit to becoming too deep into any one thing because you know you're going to move again. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, luckily, uh, my father was in the Air Force, so they don't move as much as like army kids do where they're moving like every year or every two years. Uh, but it still had quite a, an effect on me. And now it's sort of the opposite. I've really found a, a community, a deep community to be, to be part of. And I, it's one of the biggest gifts of my life is to be part of that. 
Mm. I can really relate to the story that you were just telling. And I think it's also um, not only connected that you move a lot or you're diplomatic, but also when you have a lot of interests, at least that was for me the case, I'm... I don't know, I was always very artistic, but then I was also really good at, at school and all the other fields. Um, and I, I was always interested in learning new cultures and being around other people and all different people. But that obviously makes it really difficult to find your clique and have that feeling of belonging. Um, so it's really a gift, I would say. But at the same time, I also really struggled with finding that close community where you go deeper and where you feel safe and home. And um, yeah, so I, I can really relate uh, um, to that kind of feeling that you were just describing. Um, do you think it also has to do something with your inner beliefs? Um, I think, I, I mean, I believe in the law of attraction that you always attract the people in your life. So you said you have that kind of community now. Was there something that changed within you? So you're in that group of people now? Yeah, for sure. Um, first of all, I totally agree with what you just said as far as the law of attraction goes. Um, I think for me, everything changed when I started doing yoga, actually. I, I was in a very corporate job. I was a banker um, and when I got out of college, out of university. And I was growing up in this atmosphere of, okay, success basically means you dress up in a suit, you go to an office every day, you carry a briefcase, you drive a fancy car, you have a house. That was this sort of, sort of um, ideal of success that I had been working towards and felt that I wanted to achieve. And so I was living this kind of materialistic life back then, but not really that happy and, and really feeling that there was something that was missing. Um, And I, in my earlier years, I was, I was a wrestler. Uh, I was on the, the U.S. Junior Olympic wrestling team. So I was training very hard and had a lot of problems with my body because of this from a very young age, so especially neck issues. And so I started going to a chiropractor and going to a massage therapist like three times a week. And one day the massage therapist said, you know, Adam, I could work on you every day, but you need to do something to structurally change your body. And she said, I'm taking a yoga class right now. Why don't you come try yoga? And I said, all right, you know, I'm desperate. I'll do anything. So I went to this yoga class fully expecting to just sit around and, you know, ohm and chant and this kind of thing. And I remember that first class kicked my ass. I was, you know, I was in pretty good shape, but I was sweating and it was, it was quite difficult. It was a pretty, uh, pretty intense yoga class. And when I walked out of there, For the first time, I still remember it to this day, for the first time, I really felt like my feet were connected to the earth. I had this grounded, really calm feeling inside of me. And I remember thinking, what is this? I, I really want this more. And so I started going more often. And, uh, and then I fell in love with my yoga teacher. And she, we started dating and she kind of showed me the whole other side of the practice, the spiritual side of yoga. So the meditation, and, and I had, I was uh, raised Catholic. So I had kind of a connection to spirituality already. I even wanted to be a priest at one point. Um, so there was already this sort of connection to the divine inside of me. Um, but that had kind of gone away once I got to university and I just stopped going to church and I started seeing a lot of the hypocrisy in organized religion. So I got very turned off to that. Um, 
But when I went to my first meditation workshop, uh, I again had one of those aha moments where I was standing across from the meditation teacher. And on the last day, he would give you this special mantra. You went into a room by yourself with him. And I'm looking into this guy's eyes. And I swear there was light coming out of his eyes. And for the first time in my life, I experienced what they talk about as like energy. And I could feel this tremendous energy wave come through my body. And I just start crying. And he just looked at me. He didn't, we didn't exchange any words. He just looked at me. He's like, now you understand. And that was the moment that I realized there was something so much deeper than what I've been experiencing up to that point. And, um, and that was, that was really the changing point in my life. And, and what started happening then was, uh, even that, that Monday morning when I came back from that workshop, I remember going into the office, I was work, I was managing this bank and, and normally every morning, every Monday morning, I'd have all the, 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 the employees come and sit around the desk and I'd go over this number and that number. I was on a total power trip back then. You know, I was like 26 years old, you know, running this thing and, and, um, Everybody came, sat around the desk, and instead of saying, you know, what's this number? What's going on here? What are you doing about this? I said, you know what, everybody? I want you today, every customer who comes through this door, I just want you to look them in the eyes and just feel something for them and just thank them for their business and, and really care about them. And everybody was just looking at each other like, what the hell is that wrong with him? I said, that's it. Have a good day. You know? And it was the first time I didn't care what anybody thought about me. Up to that point, I hadn't even told people I was doing yoga because I was afraid they'd think I was weird or something like that. You know? And now flash forward 20 years later, and this is my life. You know, I'm teaching yoga. I'm teaching retreats and workshops all around the world. I'm, I'm really in this spiritual path. And, and it, it, it really created a, a shift um, for the better in me. And, and now these are the people that I'm pulling into my community that I'm attracting into my life are people who are also on this more conscious, aware path of existence, you know, and people who want to help raise the vibration of others as well, not just themselves, but through their own raising the vibration and being more conscious to, to, to help others do the same. Hmm. Amazing way of success. Maybe for a woman, it's raising four kids or something. That's obviously a success, but maybe something that isn't seen as a success in society. So your way of how you look on success has dramatically changed, as it seems. Um, what did you do in order to reprogram that uh, view you had on success and how How did it change for you and what was the environment also like thinking about this? Well, first of all, it's been a very, very long process. It's not something that happened overnight. Um, and it's been, and I've been evolving, you know, I'm still evolving into what success looks like for me. Um, but you're right. Most people's idea of success is conditioned by their parents or what they see on television or what the media tells us. And I believe that everyone's personal success should be more tied to their general happiness and joy. Like what really makes you happy and not just what makes you happy because you can buy it, but what makes you happy that you can feel what makes you happy in your relationships with your partner, with your friends, um, 
how do you achieve complete fulfillment in all areas of your life? And, and it's very difficult to have that in every area, but how do you, how do you do that in the most areas as possible? And so over the years, the first, the first step for me was really dropping this conditioning was really dropping this idea of what success means, which was defined by others. And that took a long time, you know, because there's a lot of societal pressure also around success, you know, around what kind of car you drive or what, how much money you have or whether you can afford to go out to eat or what kind of clothes you wear. It's everywhere we look. Success is somehow defined for us, right? In America, if you don't have a car, it's like, you must be a loser, you know, with no job or whatever. Even the poorest person has some kind of clunker, you know, some kind of car. Here in Germany, it's totally different, you know. In, in Berlin, I, most of my friends don't have cars because you don't need it. So success um, for me is about feeling joy and happiness and contentment in all the different aspects of my life that are important to me. Um, doing something career-wise that I really love and I'm passionate about and that is fun, you know, it is, and also contribute something to others. For me, that's important. And it's taken me, you know, the last 20 years to figure out kind of what that is and to find that, that sort of direction that I want to go. And now I feel like I'm on it. And, and I made the big leap of getting completely out of corporate stuff a couple of years ago to really focus hundred percent on this. Um, and I had years of struggling with that. I wanted to do it for a long time, but this, this idea of safety and security and having a steady income really held me back. Um, but for years it was, you know, my corporate work was here and my yoga, my healing work and everything else was here, but my lifestyle was like here. So I wanted to move more and more into this. But okay, how do I do it? I have to. I, the thought was, I have to establish some business that's paying me well enough, and then I can make the switch. And eventually, I just got to the point where I said, you know what? If I really want to go 100% here, I have to leave this and jump with both feet in, and just trust that everything is going to work out. And that's what I did. I I left my corporate job. I was doing. Um, uh, some consulting work, um, uh, opening up like business development in Asia for an electric car company. And I went full in a hundred percent to this. And as I've done that, it's been, a, it was a rocky start, but then suddenly things started happening and they're still happening and it's still in development, but it's exciting. And it makes me happy to think, okay, what I'm doing could actually, yeah, help others in doing what they want to do, you know? So it's that part of it's fulfilling. Um, the relationship thing, I'm still working on that. I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm not in a relationship now. It just, uh, one just ended recently. Uh, and that's part of my life. I still haven't found complete fulfillment in and, and I'm still trying to find that. Uh, but my friend, my community has really been built and is really strong. And I have uh, amazing people in my life that I've met. So on many, in many aspects, I feel very fulfilled and, and I see myself as a ever changing, never ending project. And because like you, I like so many different things. I'm constantly exploring. And every time I explore a new path, it also changes me a little bit. So there, 
I don't feel that there is going to be a, you know, a reckoning of a who am I, you know, discovering who I am, so to speak, because I'm always going to be something different. Hmm. And that's kind of exciting. Yeah, definitely. And I think sometimes we also have to experience something that we end up not liking in order to exclude it from our future. And then we can say, okay, we've tried that, but we realize we don't like it. So yeah, it was necessary to make that experience in order to know even about it. And also going back to relationship, what you said, I think even their success or a successful relationship can mean something completely different to um, each individual. Maybe for some people is having a, a polyamorous relationship as for others is maybe they want to be single and that's what, what they want or um, even having an asexual relationship or whatever it is. I think even there having a successful relationship can be really defined so differently. Um, but hmm? yeah, sure. and, and this is, this is also something I've been exploring too, is trying to figure out, okay, what form of relationship do I really want? You know, I've done the open relationship thing. I've done the, you know, the, the polyamorous thing a little bit experiment with that. And yeah, it's still not quite clear to me. I think it'll be, I think when it's right, then I'll just know it, you know? And until then I just keep experimenting and finding out what's right for me. And that's all we can do, you know? And Trial I think, error, I suppose. but Berlin is such a good space for that. I think because Berlin really op offers the freedom to experiment, especially with relationships. I think that that's the best place to to be here with that. Um, but let's go back a little bit to the point when you actually decided to become a yoga teacher and a meditation master, and you're also a Reiki teacher. I don't know when that unraveled for you, but yoga was the first step, right, in your story. So let's go back. What um, happened that that you suddenly said, oh, I, I will leave the bank or at least I will at the side do my yoga uh, teacher training. Um, so, so what happened inside of you and outside maybe as an event that brought you there? Well, uh, with this sudden shift in my awareness around what I wanted to do with my life and who I was, I started realizing that this bank situation was not really what I wanted to what I wanted to do. Um, I was good at it, but it wasn't me. I was much more creative. I, uh, and I wanted to travel. I mean, to be honest, I always dreamed of having this international lifestyle and being tied to a American corporate institution is probably the worst thing for that because you get 10 days of holiday a year and, uh, it's very difficult to get out of that. So I was already starting to think about wanting to do something different and how do I get how do I create the life that I want, which is to live and work internationally? And I decided that I would um, leave the bank at some point and go back to school and get an MBA in international so that I could travel. Um, but again, I was still in this mindset of, okay, I need to do something with business because it's, that's still success, can create success, but I want to live internationally. So it was one small step towards what I wanted to do. And then um, I had been doing yoga for about six months. And then I got very sick. I contracted meningitis, uh, Hirnhautensundum. Cool. And uh, was in the hospital for a while and almost died. And I had, just before that, I had told my boss that what I was going to do, I was going to leave the bank that spring. 
um, to start school. And I was going to stay until the spring because I, in January, at the end of the year, I was going to get a big bonus. I was going to get some stock options. I was going to get all this money that was going to help pay for this very expensive education. And so right before Christmas, I got out of the hospital and my boss called me and said, Hey, Adam, I'm so glad you're, you're okay. Just wanted to let you know we've accepted your resignation. And your last day is December 31st. And I said, what do you mean? I didn't resign, you know, and, and I'm staying till March so I can get, oh, well, sorry, when you told us back in October that you were going to quit, we don't have to let you stay that long. So in essence, they were getting rid of me before they had to pay all that money out, right? And now suddenly I had no money to go to school. I was extremely weak trying to recover from this illness. My girlfriend, my love of my life at the time, this yoga teacher had broken up with me. <laughs> so everything at one time was crashing down upon me. And the only thing that really kept me sane was this newfound trust that I had that everything was going to work out okay through my yoga and my meditation practice. And um, suddenly everything was open to me. My whole life was open. I could redefine who I was and I could, I could choose to sink into this dark hole of despair and everything, or I could choose to say, all right, now's the opportunity to do what I've always wanted and I can switch my life. And I had, um, I had kind of fallen into teaching by accident and it was because my, my girlfriend at the time, she was sick one day and she couldn't teach and she said, hey Adam, can you teach this class for me? I said, well, I'm not a yoga teacher. And she said, well, you've been taking my classes for a while. It's only like four or five people. It was in a small private gym. They won't know the difference. So I wrote down a little series on a little yellow piece of paper and I hid it under the corner of my yoga mat. And when people were in down dog or something, I would peek under the yoga mat and tell them, okay, bring your right leg forward. And, you know, and this was my first yoga class I ever taught. And, and then I just started teaching. And it was, that was my teaching begin. I never did a formal teacher training because back then Yoga Alliance didn't even exist. Um, I did my training under my, my girlfriend, my teacher, and then I became a disciple of her, uh, her guru, her teacher, Sri Divyananda Saraswati Maharaj. So I was learning meditation from him, but all of my training is autodidactish. I pretty much taught myself over the years and of course, I've done workshops and things through the years now, but no formal teacher training. And But my teaching started to kind of catch on with people. And uh, at the same time, I found a, a spot with a friend of mine who I was playing soccer with at the time in a small advertising agency. And he invited me to come over and start working with them. And so I spent the next 10, 10 years, 15 years in advertising and marketing and um, and then at some point I had my own agency and that gave me the ability to finally move to Europe. And that's what I did. So 15 years ago, I moved to Germany and, um, yeah, the rest is history. So I've, I've been teaching yoga for those 20 years and that's become a huge part of my life. Um, I, uh, started doing Reiki around the time I started teaching yoga. So for about 18 years, I've been a Reiki master. Um, and then a few years ago, I got into Tantra. So I'm doing Tantra healings as well and uh, de-armoring, sexual de-armoring, uh, according to the Gaia method. So I learned from this wonderful woman, uh, Susanna Rorskar. She's a Danish 
uh, I think she's Danish, um, which is a uh, methodology of releasing trauma uh, through sexual abuse and, and shame issues and things like this. And I also, uh, one of the most powerful things I ever did, which also helped me a lot on my way, was I went through a process called primal childhood deconditioning, which is primal therapy. It's, it's inner child work. And I did this in India with this amazing German woman called Puja Lep. She's a psychotherapist from Munich. She's also a sannyasin, so she's a follower of Osho. And I was going to the Osho ashram quite a bit, and I became a sannyasin as well. And I did this very intense eight-day group process called primal therapy. And it, it, cha- it also changed my life. This was the beginning to starting to understand where all my patterns and where all this conditioning came from. So we've talked a bit about conditioning and, and this kind of thing, but now I finally know where this comes from. And this, this, this type of work I recommend to everybody because all the ideas and conditioning we get from around love, around relationships, our relationship to money, um, to all kinds of things. We, we develop by observing our parents and their relationships in the first you know seven years of our lives, which they call the primal years. So I've, I've become a co-facilitator also for this type of work. So I'm doing a lot of trauma work with people, inner child work and coaching and uh, yeah, and then the plant medicine work, which I got into about eight years ago. Wow, so many different things. That's amazing. Um, I just want to jump back into that story where you put that little note under your yoga mat for teaching um, because I love that story because I think so many people are so afraid to start something new because of a perfectionist drive or because of the fear of not being good enough for it or not being ready yet or something. Um, But there is a the, the quote, fake it till you make it. And it doesn't mean that we can't do it, but it, it I think it really showcases that sometimes we have to just start doing it and jump into it, even though it might not be perfect yet, whatever perfect means. But um, if we never try it, we will always keep on building up that fear and maybe never end up doing it. So I think that's such a good example that actually teaching this yoga class probably for you was the entrance of becoming a yoga teacher and everything that unfolded for that. And for me, I had a similar story about that podcast. I wanted to do it for so many, so many years or so long. And I never started because I thought I don't have the technique for it. And who will want to talk to me? And where do I upload it? I don't know all the programs, blah, blah. And you always find excuses. But then one day I just thought, okay, if I want to do this, I just have to start at one point. And then I just did it with my phone. So you don't always have to wait for the perfect moment where you have like all these professional microphones, a professional camera, um, already, I don't know, Barack Obama as an interview guest or whatever. You, you can just start, you know, and then it all unravels from there. So thank you for sharing this story because I think this is so powerful as a message to everyone who wants to start something, but maybe is still scared of that. Yeah, life is short, right? Mm. And I think that the greatest tragedy in life is a dream that goes unfulfilled because you're afraid to try it. And, and I feel one thing I'm very grateful about with my American upbringing is I really was brought up with this idea of, yes, we can. 
You know, anything is possible. And so I encourage people just, you know, just do it. You're going to make mistakes. I think one of the biggest problems is people are afraid of failure, right? And that goes back to this whole thing I was telling, talking about in the beginning of worrying about what other people think of you. And I think here in Germany, especially, this is really prevalent. The, the cost of failure in Germany is so much higher than in other places. Like, you know, the, even the way the, the uh, infrastructure is set up here around, uh, you know, investment and support by the government and things like this. You know, if you start a company here, a startup, and it fails, and you have to file bankruptcy or insolvents, you know, very often you can't be a Geschäftsführer, you can't be a CEO for another seven years. Um, you can never get money from the bank again, you know, and in America, you know, everybody knows 80% of startups fail. And there are, there are investment companies that say, we don't, we don't invest any money in a company or in a CEO who hasn't already had at least one failure under their belt because they then understand what they did wrong and they learn from that in the second one, which totally makes sense. And so this whole idea of, of failure and being seen by society um, as a failure is, I think, is one of the biggest detriments, not only to us following our dreams, but also to innovation. Innovation really gets stifled and blocked when you have an atmosphere of, um, you know, being afraid to fail. By trying and failing and trying and failing, trying and failing. Yeah. Oh, definitely. That's um, such an important point that you uh, brought up and uh, we were actually just speaking about before, uh, going back to what we said earlier, that um, sometimes we have to figure out what we don't want in order to what we want. And I think it's the same if we call it a failure. I don't like the word failure because I rather see it as a learning experience. Um, because it is so valuable. And as you said, in other countries, maybe they even see it as something positive. But I agree that in Germany, it's always like very heavy everything and very difficult in terms of bureaucracy, etc. So I think especially here, people are so scared to, to actually start something and also yeah, to, to fail, uh, whatever that means to, to the people. Um, yeah. I, I do think that's changing, you know, I, because I see a lot of startups happening here. I think with the, you know, the newer generation is really, um, this, this is shifting. Um, but, but among the older generation, you still have this thing of like, if you, if you say to somebody, yeah, I'm going to quit my, my stable job and I'm going to, I want to start this company doing whatever. And the first thing you get is all the reasons why it can't work or it won't work. You know, there's a lot of this like, oh, well, that's that's just not possible. Oh, well, why do you want to leave this safe and secure job to do that? Aren't you worried about being able to pay your rent? Aren't you worried about this? Aren't you worried about that? And, and that's a systemic issue here, you know, um, and, and that's got to change. That attitude has to change. Uh, in America, for example, if you say that same thing, some, somebody will be like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it sounds great. Go for it. Let me know if there's any way I can support you in that. So we need to, to shift our, our mindset around this also into a more supportive kind of thing to support innovation, to support people going out on a limb and taking chances. And even if we bring it back to yoga, you know, new yoga teachers often ask me advice on teaching because they're so nervous and they're perfectionists and they want to make it exactly right. And what happens when they do that is that they come across as very mechanical. You know, they come, come across as a robot. And what I tell people is just 
you know, get your basic thing down and then start to connect with your heart and start to teach or speak from what feels right and good for you. If there's an asana that you really love, then spend a lot of time in that asana and really talk about it. And then your personality starts to come across. And the more you do it, the more you get in front of people and just teach, the faster that's going to happen. The faster you're going to come to the point where you can really own it and make it your practice. And you can apply that to anything, to creating a podcast, to writing a blog, to doing a startup, whatever it is. You have to make those mistakes and keep a sense of humor about it. You know, I, I know so many people who go through training after training after training. They're doing tons of teacher trainings, but they're not actually teaching because they feel like they need one more thing to make to be make it perfect. Or it's one more good mi- piece of equipment, one more microphone, one more good idea to write in my blog before they actually start. And I'm like, just start because so much creativity comes out of that one action that that is what is going to make you grow not reading things in a book or watching youtube videos it's actually doing it yourself oh yeah definitely where we come back again to the to the failing thing <laughs> and i think we can also um, observe a general movement in the world which could maybe be seen as the feminine side of the um, of, of the world or the way of perceiving and um, uh, seeing things that we go a bit more from our heart or go more in a um, receiving and um, more conscious way of, of dealing with things. And um, I think this is a general, um, I don't know if, if the stars are like, I'm not so deep into astrology, but I heard that we're like in that kind of age where the more feminine power comes back and we can see that in all aspects in the business and in basically every aspect of life and as you're a tantra teacher i know that um, it's not as many people think it's all over just having crazy good sex but it's much much more and especially from the classes i've taken um, it's a lot at place with the energies of the masculine and the feminine so Could you maybe quickly, I, I, I know it's like an own podcast topic uh, talking about Tantra, but maybe explain what Tantra means um, in the overall sense and how it also has to do with like this masculine and the feminine power that we can maybe even apply on these temporary times. Yeah. Well, for me, I think overall in general, Tantra means coming into balance between your masculine and your feminine. You know, uh, it's about polarities and it can be polarity between two people, but it's also the polarity within yourself. And it's been a journey for me um, trying to find that balance, coming more into my feminine um, and, and acting more from my heart. You know, getting out of the head, which is a very masculine trait and coming into the heart, which is very feminine. And the You know, for me, Tantra has has created uh, a deep, a much deeper sense of connection with myself, because the 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 Yang energy, you know, the the masculine energy, tends to create more of an armor, you know, creates this protection uh, kind of this this perception of strength. Again, this goes back to the conditioning, right? It's this perception of strength, and I got to be strong, and I have to be this way or that way, and don't show weakness. You know, and when I when I started to crack through that, through the meditation, through the yoga, through some of the other stuff I was doing, 
um, and, and really connect with that feminine part of myself and come more into the heart, it was like a big exhalation. It was a, it was a deep relaxation in my soul. And I found that my connections to others, I was starting to draw people into my life um, that I really was getting some value out of. I was having much deeper conversations, not just with women, but with men also. So finding men on this tantric path who are very open and can be vulnerable uh, has been hugely enriching for me. Um, you know, we live in this time of, we hear this a lot, this toxic, ma toxic masculinity. And, and I do believe that this is one of the, one of the main things that is creating so much strife and conflict in the world is toxic masculinity. Uh, but men are, are, are very confused about how to be, you know, and, you know, in, in, at one point they're expected to be this super strong, you know, powerful, powerful guy that a woman can, a woman can uh, look for protection in. At the other time, uh, they're supposed to be sensitive, you know, and, and good listeners. And then, you know, the next minute, oh, what happened to all the real men? Now they're all too soft, you know. So there's this, there's been this wave for men. It's very difficult for us to keep up with that. But when you find this place in the middle, you can be all of that at the same time. And so for me, Tantra has been really about um, finding that balance, connecting to my feminine, um, and in my business, bringing that also into the business work that I'm doing. So creating a new paradigm around how we deal with each other, how we deal with clients or customers or even products, you know, and um, figuring out that there is a different way of doing it. You know, I came from the banking world where it was this very, you know, patriarchal, patriarchal masculine based thing, you know, um, where the, where my boss was like, use the stick, you know, all the time, you know, if you didn't, if you weren't performing, you'd get punished, you'd get yelled at. I mean, he was old school. He was an old guy too. So he was, you know, really an old school manager. And now I'm in this place of moving. I always like to say moving from the me to the we. So being more collaborative, you know, working together with people instead of working for people. I don't really want to work for anyone anymore, but I love working with people. And, and in that case, in that respect, if you bring the heart into it, then your coworkers, let's just say, or your clients are not just something separate from you, but they also become a part of your, your community in a way. And I love having clients who are part of my community. I love to have clients who I could also go out and have a beer on a weekend with if I wanted to, you know, because they are on the similar path and they're thinking a similar way that I am. Mm. And uh, I think the more we bring these aspects of respect and, um, and a bit of softness into, into the business world and understanding, uh, I think the more ethical and more moral uh, business in general will, will become. And the, more, and the more equality we'll see in business. We'll see uh, more equality between men and women, obviously, but also more equality in, um, in the haves and the have-nots. You know, I think you'll see this, this kind of movement can bring more people into it. When right now you have this hierarchy that's like a pyramid. You know, you've got very few at the top and all these people at the bottom. But if we start to open that up and start to bring more feminine energy into business, then I think it's more inclusive and can start to widen out the middle a little bit better. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a really difficult time to be a man. Like, 
I think that's a topic that isn't really spoken about because people always say, yeah, it's difficult for women to rise up. Of course, that as well. But I think also the role of a man, as you said before, has shifted so much that women want that kind of like um, also feminine showing man, but then at the same time, not too much because we still want that masculine man in some aspects. And then really the role has changed so much as also women have changed and maybe have been so much into their masculine as well um, but do you personally have an idea why it is so hard for so many men um, to live their feminine side or why there is such a stigma about that mm. well it's it's a lot of conditioning you know it's it's the idea of men as needing to be the strong breadwinners you know the one who brings home the money and and uh, it's all societal cultural conditioning And the way that they're portrayed in movies, on television, in the media, um, all of this is what a man is supposed to be. So if you're something other than that, then you're looked at as being weird or you're esoteric or, you know, there are a couple of other words I could use that are, are not so nice or more misogynistic. Um, so men have, have learned how to protect themselves and not be vulnerable. You know, the old saying, boys don't cry, you know, just suck it up and take it like a man. Even these little uh, these little sayings, you know, reinforce that idea that men cannot be vulnerable. They can't show their emotions. They can't cry. They can't show their hearts, you know. And, and, and so what you have found, what I, what you find very often is you've got men on one end of the spectrum who are in this very masculine kind of place, machoism, I guess you could call it. Or they're on the complete opposite side where they're full in the feminine and then they're just like, um, like wet noodles, you know, they're, 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 they're too much in the feminine and, and they're, they're, they're missing the middle, you know, and I really believe you can have this place in the middle. You can be open and vulnerable and show your emotions and be connected to your heart and, and, and listen at the same time, you can be strong. You can be the man, you can be the protector, you can you know, fix the broken washing machine, you can, you know, uh, make a fire, you know, but at the same time, you can also talk deeply about your emotions and, and what's moving you. And that's what makes us human. That part of it, the, the emotional side of things is what makes us human. So if you're cutting off that part of yourself, you're cutting off a large part of you of your humanity. And I think that that is what a lot of men have done over the years. Mm. Unfortunately. Yeah, I think in terms of, um, Uh, women it has become a bit more um, mainstream or more normal to also be in their fem uh, in their masculine as in terms of like business or being that strong woman that also makes the money but then also can be a loving wife or partner or a mother of the kids and I think in that way we are already a bit further that we can actually combine these two things for a woman and that that's seen as something more normal now. But in terms of the man and the masculine, I think there's still a lot of work to be done to bring these two parts in balance, which, um, yeah, a tantra is a wonderful tool, I think, to do. Um, I think we should record an own episode about Tantra or um, all the other practices that you're doing. But for now, I would like to move on to a round of quick fire questions, if you're ready for that. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so we were already talking about it a bit earlier, but uh, in just one sentence, maybe. What's your favorite dish? 
my favorite dish yeah. to eat. Yeah. Um, I love anything Indian. Okay, chicken rice. Okay. But you must be so hungry now. You're like, <laughs> even saying that, you're probably like, oh God, I, I want I that. <laughs> Um, was there a book that was a game changer for you that really opened up new spaces for you? Yes. Um, and it's an old book, but it was the Celestine prophecy. Oh, I love that one. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this book, the Celestine prophecy, yeah. all about following the signs that the universe mm -hmm. gives you, um, that completely changed my life. And that, that was one of the books that kind of uh, set me on this spiritual path also and helped me come into trust and start looking around for the signs that makes uh, life much easier and helps you come into flow. Mm, yeah, it's such a great book. I can also highly, highly recommend that. Uh, what can we do for more self-love? First, connect to yourself. Connect to your body. Um, we are so distracted in life that our minds are thinking of this, our bodies are going over there, uh, our soul is who knows where, you know, but doing practices where we actually connect with ourselves and sit and allow ourselves to feel whatever's happening inside of us. Um, this is a great barometer for how you're doing in life in general, mm -hmm. how you're feeling. And you can't start to really give yourself more self-love or be kind to yourself until you know what you need. And I think that is the biggest thing. People are just disconnected from themselves these days. They're, they're stuck in computers. They're stuck in TVs. They're stuck in all these different things. And we just need to sit in quietness, stillness, and, and feel. That's the first thing. Mm, yeah, so nice. Do you have a favorite location or place on this planet? India. Oh, okay. I love, I love India. It's one of the, I've been to 65 countries, I think. And India is the place that I long for and I miss when I'm not there. So interesting. For India, it counts love it or hate it, I think. I belong to the people who hate it. <laughs> there was, I've visited so many places all over the world. And India is one of the only countries where I say I would never go there again. But um, yeah, it's so interesting. I, how... I also tell people it's either you either love it or you hate it. Yeah, There's definitely. There's very little in between. Um, And many people go to India with this romantic idea of what India is. And then they get there and they're disappointed by the poverty, by the aggression, by this. And the, if you spend enough time there, or if you go there enough, you start to see all the, this, this beautiful flow of energy that's below, beneath all of that. You know, this, the deep spirituality, the traditions, the rituals, um, and the magic that can happen there. For me, I've had so many magical experiences there. Um, It's just, for me, it's amazing. And, yeah. and I, I understand for a woman, it's also a different experience than it is for a man. That I can totally yeah. understand. Uh, it is a difficult place. I'm not going to say that. I mean, there are much more beautiful places I've been to, you know, islands in Indonesia and, you know, in Thailand and things like this. But for me and my growth, India is just an amazing place. Mm, yeah. It's all different for everyone, I guess. For me, that's Bali. Yeah, that's where. Mm, I love yeah, Bali too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for um, better health? For better health? <sighs> Take plant medicines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, for mental, physical health, yeah. Plant medicines mm -hmm. have been a huge, huge uh, eye-opener for me and mm -hmm. I've been on this plant medicine journey for the last eight years 
Um, I've also had a, a number of health issues that I've dealt with. And uh, for me, the plant medicines have brought me also not just a certain amount of physical healing, but an understanding around the psychological origins of much of this, of these issues, you know? Mm. So that's, that's more of an extreme route to go um, for good health. But I think the main thing is to eat a lot of vegetables. You don't have to be vegetarian necessarily, but add a lot of vegetables and stay away from prepackaged foods. That's my main, my two main things. You know, if you can just do that in your life, just try to eat as conscious and aware as possible and don't eat too much. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you, um, you have a lot of new projects coming on as we uh, spoke about it at, at the Agape Zoe Festival. So where can people find you? What is your current work about? Um, what are you doing next? <laughs> okay. Well, um, since this coronavirus happened, I've been forced to kind of shift things in my life a bit. So I went online with my yoga classes. I'm doing live stream yoga classes now. Uh, I'm getting ready to open a small yoga. Um, Can you say it again? It was cut off yeah. again? I'm getting ready to open a small yoga studio in Mitte. Um, but people can find me on my Facebook page, Adam Rice Yoga, on Instagram, Adam Rice Yoga. I have a YouTube channel now where I'm posting uh, free yoga videos, workshop elements where I'm teaching you how to do things like arm balances. Uh, I've got some guided audio meditations on my YouTube channel now as well. Uh, and I've just started a new project, which I'm really excited about, called Ecstasis. And ecstasis is a Greek word, which means beyond the mind. And so for the last few years, I've been working as a lead facilitator, guiding um, plant medicine ceremonies, psychedelic ceremonies, with ayahuasca and with psilocybin, or truffles, mushrooms. And there's been a lot of research done and is being done right now around these psychoactive uh, elements. Uh, for the use for depression, anxiety, you know, obsessive compulsive disorders, uh, all kinds of things. So the science is really proving that uh, these psychedelics have a very powerful effect on the human mind and on the body. And so now I've, I've stepped out of my roles uh, with these two organizations and I'm starting my own. And under Ecstasis, I'm going to be offering retreats and workshops uh, using plant medicines, but all, not just that, but also... Uh, things around personal transformation, um, you know, breath work, uh, coaching, uh, conscious coaching type work. So it's going to be an umbrella for a lot of different work that I'm going to be doing. But one of the, the key pieces is going to be the work with these psychedelics in a very controlled, uh, professional and um, a safe atmosphere to give people that experience, especially if they have a little bit of hesitancy around it. Uh, you know, when I was working for this previous organization called Synthesis in the Netherlands, uh, we had a cooperation with the Imperial College of London, and they were using our ceremonies, our sessions for their research. So uh, through that, I learned a lot around this new, very new field, this new industry, uh, in how to, yeah, how to effectively and safely uh, give people these medicines. Uh, but... But for me, what's important is to continue to bring this element of spirituality into it because that's very intrinsically connected to it. So my shamanic work, you know, I spent a month and a half with the Shipibo tribe in Peru um, in the jungle uh, with ayahuasca. And so I've learned a lot around shamanism, things like this. So I bring those elements also into, into this work. So Ecstasis uh, is just now being built. It's in the startup phase. 
I'm working on the website now. I just put the Facebook page up uh, about a week ago. It doesn't have much content in it yet, uh, but it's under Ecstasis Retreat on Facebook, and you can find it there. Cool. Yeah, we'll definitely link to all of that in the show notes so people can find you and get in touch with you. And yeah, I think we have to definitely also record another uh, maybe episode about um, yeah all the, the plant medicine and the ayahuasca and everything as this is probably a topic as in its own <laughs> where we can speak about a lot. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for being here and thank you for being you and doing all this amazing work. And yeah, I'm really honored to have you on my show. <laughs> thank you so much for the invitation. I really appreciate it. And I'm happy to see somebody else who's following their dream. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thanks. I loved this episode and I hope you did as well. If that could benefit someone that you know, please share it or yeah, screenshot it and post it on your Instagram. Tag me, I will repost it. And I'm super happy and grateful that you're here and that you listen to my episodes. And yeah, please leave me a review, share this episode so we can bring positive news out in the world and yeah, just connect to likewise people. So until next time, I wish you a wonderful weekend and so much love and I can't wait to yeah, hear from you. Much love.